Hey there, and welcome to the Introverted Entrepreneur Podcast. My name is Denise Lee, and I'm a life coach specializing in traumas and addictions. And today, I just had the honor and privilege of having a wonderful conversation with Ana del Castillo. Ana is such a powerful woman who focuses on giving women the right to speak their voice and being able to share it without shame or embarrassment. Even if you're not a woman, this conversation about healing and recovery and finding your new normal is definitely going to help you, not just in how you run your business, but how you live your life. And I'm hoping that you will enjoy this conversation and we'll get to it all of that after this short break. You know, Anna, wow, I, I don't really know how to start this conversation because when we were talking earlier, we could we easily agreed that this could last for hours and hours. And I don't think people have time for all of that. But for those who don't know you, would you kindly introduce yourself to the audience? Yes. Um, my name is Ana Del Castillo. I am a women's rightness expert and um, uh, and certified coach. Um, what that means is I work with women who wake up thinking, feeling, and worrying that there's something wrong with themselves, with their lives, their brain is really loud. And um, regardless of what's happened in their lives, I get them to feel whole and right and complete in their skin so that they can walk forward empowered and happy and genuinely being able to feel the goodness in their lives. I found you separate serendipitously i can't pronounce that word <laughs> through yeah. your pardon yeah serendipitously serendipitously <laughs> I, I know right sorry that, that was contagious what i just said through your husband ken for those of you guys who don't know ken blackman look him up especially you fellas too because he definitely also helps men understanding how to tap into understanding the glory that is woman's sexuality. So I'll just say that. I'll just kind of put that little uh, <laughs> advertising in there. But anyway, as I was talking with Ken, Ken was telling me, I think you'd be better off talking to my wife. <laughs> and, <laughs> <laughs> and it was just so interesting because when I was learning more about you, Anna, it was, I didn't know where to begin the the violence, the sexual trauma, the ability to overcome despite all the, the family history. I mean, coming as Cuban immigrants to America and just cultural issues. I didn't know where to begin. And yeah. so I guess where I want to kind of just start this conversation is how did you recognize that your trauma was impacting you professionally? Oh, golly. When did I recognize that it was impacting me professionally? Um, so the most obvious, because before, you know, I'd had a lot of trauma in my life, but but I had the kind of response to the, the first wave of trauma, which is my childhood. And there was a whole bunch of stuff that had happened. It was, I had my first response to it was to become really hard and determined. I was like Kevlar, do you know? I, I, mm. I was, I was um, the life of the party, but, but don't give me your heart because I would have, I would have like eaten it for lunch. Do you know? I was mm. kind of like reptilian human who was a good time, <laughs> but I was successful like you know um so that was more personal relationships i don't know about professionally and also professionally at that time as well i i was able to get to where i wanted to go but in terms of interpersonal relationships i wasn't that great and so that affected me professionally as well however it was after i i i'm coming up on the anniversary of it actually it's like my my father and my brother were both uh, there's no really good way to say this in a way that that sort of like it's it's a it's a dramatic thing to say. My father and my brother were both murdered in a gangland style killing. And it was a very large event. And that one tore my psychological and emotional house down to the ground. I had no defenses left after that. I was um, like whatever it was that I had built with spit and tape and like gauze, 
uh, before as a way to survive life was gone. And I was not very functional. And so um, <laughs> it was really clear at that point that my drama was seriously affecting everything. Um, and at that time, I didn't really have much, uh, like it was pre- I don't know, internet, and I'm that old. I'm 50, 50, how old am I? 55, <laughs> 55 years old. 50 fabulous, um, 50, yeah, fabulous. 50 fabulous. Anyone who right. 50 fabulous. And um, uh, so <laughs> I, um, I started to do like really intensive therapy. I'd been in therapy before then, but like at that point it was do or die. And none of the stuff that I, that I had been doing before was going to cut it. Like talk therapy and, and writing and stuff, it helped a, a little bit, but I really had to do what, what I figured at that time. And this is not a big like, aha now, but at that time, none of the information that is available now was available then. Um, but in my own discovery and trying to get myself better, I realized it had happened to my body, the trauma. It was something that was going on. I could barely breathe. I could barely function. I was going to have to figure out how to heal myself somatically and through my, through my body. And so I started to do stuff. I know this is not quite answering the question that you're asking, but we're going off on a tangent. So I, hey, started, it's all to good. Do, it's all good. I started to do stuff that was somatically based, all of the things. So I started doing a lot of uh, body work, a lot of um, uh, even my even the therapy itself, Gestalt therapy, which is more focused on the IFS, which is internal family systems. I started doing just like breathing and stuff that had to do with my um, calming my nervous system down. And that took me a long, my nervous system was shot, like gone. It mm. took me so long to really get my nervous system. I had to like, to me, uh, like, and it took me so long to just get to my nervous system. <laughs> like I wasn't even in my body. Like I had to get into my body to be able to get into my nervous system, to be able to actually get, feel again. So, so yeah, when that second wave of huge trauma hit, that's when I knew I was really, really, it was do or die at that point. Hmm. That's the long version of answering that short question. <laughs> oh, no, don't, don't you worry. There's, we've got a lot more to unpack and detangle from what you just said. And I want to make sure that everyone's listening and everyone's taking some notes because your story is not just a story of surviving, but it's a story of empowerment. Mm -hmm. And I just want to give credit where credit's due because I think for all of us, we think, oh, I've gone through enough, right? And then you hear somebody else, like, oh, it was bad, but it's not that bad. And then you're like listening to, honestly, I'm like, whoa, gangland shootings? Yeah. Rape yeah. at five years old? Like, what in the world? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, 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 sh I should let you talk about the rapes incident. But I mean, I'm just saying that everyone is going through something, but unless you understand that there is an other side. We always get stuck in our own funk, you know. That yeah. there, there are other other people on the side. Says I can lead you, and I just don't know the stuff anecdotally. Yeah, I wanna, I wanna for those for those people who are are listening and are on a, in a spot where they don't know where to start, or they're feeling lost, or you feel hopeless. And then you, you listen to someone like me or someone else who looks or sounds like they, they might have it together. Um, first of all, don't try not to compare yourself. My story, you're catching me at, a, at the arc in my story where I've had to connect, I don't know, a couple thousand dots to finally get to this dot. You might be in a, in a, you know, like, a thousand or two thousand dots before but i was there there were days and years actually where i just didn't know how to not want to die um mm. where i didn't know how i was going like every day was a slog to 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 not i i hate to say this but it's the truth it's like there was a period of my life where every day was like trying to figure out why not to take myself out do you know mm. Um, so if you're listening to this and you're like, I don't even know how, and it feels insurmountable. I've been there. I've done it. I, I'm, I hope somewhere in this conversation, um, that we have here on this podcast that you can see your way clear to the next dot. Mm. 
um, which will lead to the next dot and the next dot and the next dot and the next dot. Um, so I don't know if there was a question in there, but that's what came up when you were. We're, we're just flowing with that. this whole conversation. We're, we're, yeah. we're flowing with it. And, and that's totally okay. I know that people are, are picking up little gems and diamonds and rubies yeah. <laughs> and hopefully golden nuggets along the way, because yeah. what, what may resonate with one listener may not resonate with another, but it may resonate on another level. And that's okay. This conversation will flow naturally. Yeah. You know, well, the conversation that we had the other day, and I, I'm still thinking about it, where we talked about the schizoid. And for those who aren't understanding what I mean, I'm, I'm kind of shorthand saying schizophrenia, where there is a complete chasm between your thoughts and your feelings. And oftentimes there's this paranoia because you don't know what to expect or how to react. And you feel like everyone's trying to get you and defenses are high. And a lot of people just kind of just quickly label schizophrenia. Oh, well, it's a chemical imbalance or, well, it's just for family hereditary. But we don't hear people talk about the trauma. Yeah. So I, when I was talking about schizoid because when i was a kid it was so traumatizing like what had happened to me with my father and as a kid so physically and you know just emotionally and psychologically and sexually traumatizing that i i developed schizoid personality disorder which is not schizophrenia schizoid personality is um it it typically begins in very early adult childhood and or adulthood and um um, I withdrew like it was so not safe to be in the world at some point. The differences between the different personality disorders is that like schizoid is more about safety. Borderline is um, more about love, like they're desperate to get love. Schizoid is like a desperate feeling of like needing to feel safe and um, uh, narcissism is more about like a need for acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's how they split. They all, all three of those um, don't develop whole object relation or object constancy, which are, are um, certain developmental things that have to happen when you're a child to be able to like be a whole. They like split into like black and white, all or nothing. That's where the split happens. But how they split and how it, how it informs itself, that's what makes it go into one or the other. Um, so I developed schizoid at a very young age and I just, I went into a fantasy world. I didn't really want to be around people. It was very scary. I don't re- I didn't really enjoy close relationships with like anybody. It was just dangerous. Like it felt very, very dangerous to be in the world. And so that's how, that's how th- my um, trauma developed. Now, when I got older and I went into puberty, it was just still so bad that my schizoid wasn't really protecting me. And so I, I started to veer into more narcissistic adaptations. And, um, it was more like, oh, I, I've got a certain power. And now, I mean, I was an attractive young woman. I was in Miami, you know, men were doing inappropriate things. And so I was like, you want this thing. I'm going to literally use it against you. And I'm going to crush you. I'm going to punish you. If I get attention and that feeds me, then I'm going to use that attention to now hurt you back. And so that was how that worked itself out as a, as a, as a, you know, a child and then a young adult. Mm. so that's you know, you, schizoid yeah. and a lot of people don't know about schizoid but i'm but i'm you know certain that a lot of people actually have schizoid or schizoid like adaptations that we just don't look at it because we don't notice it because it sort of hides itself as um the nerdy quiet like it's the quietest of all of the personality adaptations or disorders mm. I see it every single day with my clients and I know you probably see as well where they're high performing and yet they could go off if anyone said anything could be slightly interpreted as criticism yeah Yeah. and yeah being a a ball of raw nerves is so damaging to the system yeah yeah well I mean Being a ball of raw nerves, it's not having a lot of, so if you don't have, if you never had the opportunity to develop much of a self, 
And what I mean by that is if, is if all you've ever had to do was, was protect yourself. And so you never had the luxury to, to actually create and know who you are, what do you like, what's, what's you and what's not you. <laughs> None of that got to be created. And all there was, was all there got to be created was this sort of like protective survival defense persona. Hmm. The, the, the bundle of nerves, the raw bundle of nerves that is developed is the, you're getting too close to the fact that I don't have much back there. Hmm. That's real. And the raw bundle of nerves is if I don't, if you're getting too close and you're poking too much to that thing. And if you get close to the void that's there, then I either have to run, let's like fight, flight or freeze kind of reaction to that, depending on, on, you know, where you fall on the spectrum of, of adaptations. Do you know? Yeah. You know, as, as you were talking, I was, I was thinking about, do you remember the, the show, uh, golden girls yeah yeah <laughs> and yeah. um i i remember there was they, they, they covered so many different social issues but i remember there had this one issue where a teenage girl was pregnant and the girl was confused she was like well i'm a woman and then i remember the character dorothy said well honey the plumbing was in but the lights weren't on <laughs> and yeah <laughs> and and i and i mentioned this to say that from looking from the outside in, you're functional. You're you're slaying it, and your career people are knowing you. You're bringing, you're having a livelihood, but there's something off. Yeah, yeah. You know the unfortunate thing about about <laughs> the the times we live in is that a sort of I don't want to say nasty, but being, um, having a personality adaptation or being sort of in the, in the spectrum of these defensive modes is more common than it is uncommon. Mm. Being grounded in your skin and being able to be kind and express your anger or your feelings, even, even knowing what your feelings are without going into a black and white, all or nothing, you're, you're great, or you're, you know, you're, you're, you're awful. Um, and not, not sort of cutting off people's humanity. Like if you, have you been on the internet? The internet is like rife with, like you don't have a lot of nuanced in-depth conversations for the most part, you know? Most of the time people are just like slinging dirt at each other all the time, you know, slapping each other around. So we have, like it's more common at this point than it is uncommon. And maybe it's always been common, it's just that being that kind of rude, unkind, unfeeling, without compassion um, was was viewed as rude behavior, and now it's not rude behavior. Um, so I, I don't, I don't, I, it, I'm my life's work. I've got a couple of like things that I'm I've taken on, but for me. My life's work is trying to shift conversations and and our collective thoughts around, first of all, women and and how women are supposed to be or not be, um, how we're supposed to act or not act, how we're supposed to think, feel all that ways. It's like to literally just like have us be the full range of who we are um, and how to do that well and how to break through, I'm really going off on a tangent here, but it, I will circle back in a moment, like how no to break through. We are constantly looked at through the lens of other, like how women are supposed to be is through some, like we, we think we compare ourselves to some ideal. We think of ourselves against that thing we judge ourselves against that. And I'm like, well, who made the ideal? It's not even attached to reality. It's like actually have a breakthrough in being fully ourselves. 
um, but not the defensive measure of ourselves, although that's a, that's a spot on the map that needs to be expressed and seen and heard, but the full range of ourselves, because I believe deeply that women are the answer to the ails of what we're going through right now. It's not men, it's women. Um, which leads me back to the, the, <laughs> the beginning thing of what we're talking about, which is like, okay, we're a bundle of nerves. We're, well, of course we're a bundle of nerves for crying out loud. We are in some sort of like weird relationship to a narcissistic culture. I'm really going to get political here on a certain level, but not like talking about politics, but like it's a, it's a white supremacist based culture and white supremacy is not is fundamentally narcissistic like fundamentally and so we are constantly in relationship on a crazy making relationship with this thing and we can never get it right and no matter what we do and so it's just maddening and so for me my thing is to like break free from that break free from it and and the we can't we'll never win so the only way is actually to like rewrite the conversation no longer be inside of that conversation and be like you know what i'm not in that conversation anymore i'm in my own conversation i'm going to be unapologetic inside of that conversation and i think for those who are listening and i know you're going to agree with me on we're not telling you that you need to think like me or anna or anybody else no. We need you to reclaim what your voice is and what your beliefs are that are aligned with your own soul. That's yep. the whole point of this conversation. Yep. 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 Yes. So I, I understand someone who might be listening who are already feeling tense and afraid about what's being talked about. Like, what are you talking about? What? And I'm like, nope, let's don't go down that road. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Stay I know back. I'm talking about things that are, are, um, controversial possibly and the reason why i talk about controversial things I, I i is because if i don't talk about them or others don't talk about it we never actually look at the shackles that are like the context with when which with which the content of our lives are inside of like there's a there's a context that we're inside of and if I'm not pointing to the context and if other people aren't pointing to the context and trying to say, no, this is the reason. And by the way, you don't even have to look at it as, 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 um, let me flip the script and say, all right, there's a sexist context that we live inside of where men just fund them. Even if we're no longer in the fifties, right? The fifties was all about like men and women serve, hmm. even though it's not the fifties, that context has never really left our gestalt. Mm. it's still running things in the background. Mm. It's why there's such an enormous shift that's going on in terms of like, okay, women are now in the workforce more. Women are now like, you know, going to school more, going to like graduating from colleges, doing stuff. And then there's just this enormous, like the shift in our sexual power dynamic hasn't quite caught up yet. Mm. Um, and so if we're not if we're not actually naming the context that's driving the content, then we, we sort of, we sort of look around and go, why is, why is everything going haywire? Cause we're mm -hmm. not naming the elephant in the room. Mm -hmm. I want to pivot and talk about women enjoying themselves on a sexual level. You know, I'm reading more women now are going to, the gynecologist is asking for their version of the little blue pill. <laughs> and I'm like, what is going on? Well, yes. What would you like? I could say. I know, right? I'm, like, I'm loaded. So like, look, uh, specifically, what I, I want to talk about this idea of we are more educated. We yeah. are slaying it. We yeah. are doing the workforce at a higher rate. But we're not able to communicate our sexual needs and resorting to pills. Yeah, I mean, some of us are resorting to pills. Some of us are resorting to, you know, all kinds of other things. I, I, boy, you know, I'll, I'll, <laughs> talking about a context. So, you know, you were talking about my husband before. My husband, um, was involved. He was, and if you ever talk to my husband, he'll, he'll be able to tell the bigger story about this. But my husband was a, 
you know, uh, computer programmer. He wasn't very good with women. He just, you know, he's five foot zero. He's not a tall guy, right? Um, um, and he just was nerdy. And, and then he got involved. There's a longer story to this, but he got involved. He started taking classes at this place that was about women's sexuality. And he started hearing like conversations that he had never heard before. And so then he ended up, long story short, living there for like nine or 10 years. And it was an, a deep exploration around pleasure and sex. The people who lived there, it was like a sex commune. And it was deep ex exploration around women and men and sexuality. And specifically, if I'm not sure if I'm, but it's a specifically women's sexuality, like a deep dive into what, what is and is not a woman's sexuality, because so much of the world that we live in, especially in the Western world, is um, driven and contextualized by men's sexuality. How men get off, how men um, get excited, how men see sex, what turns them on, you know, like, like what looks good to them. Um, and so if you look at it from there, if, if women compare ourselves to that, then of course we're gonna look for a blue pill. Mm. But that is not how women's sexuality works. We sort of have to throw out that whole entire model and just go, that is not my model. It's like trying to have a vacuum cleaner work like a blender. Like mm. I, can, I can try to, as a vacuum cleaner, rework and pretzel myself so that I could be a blender, but I will, I will always be a second and third rate blender. I will never be, I will all, I, like, I, that is crazy. And that's what women do with our sex. And that's mm. what women do, period. Mm. So I believe, and he and I are both in the same conversation around this, where, where you throw out that model and you just discover what it is to be a woman with her own sex. And a woman with her own sex is, we don't have the same arc <laughs> like men's arc is like <laughs> and you gotta sleep for a while maybe if you're younger you can go at it again but like that's the arc essentially and a woman's legitimate like orgasmic arch arc is like <laughs> the same thing ah, like it literally can go on like it there's so much more elasticity and depth and breadth and width and experience in what like my uh like it wasn't until later in life that i got to really discover how how i worked and it's so different from from what i had been taught before uh, conditioned into and so i'm 55 and i don't need the like my 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 sexuality and our sex is better now than it was when i was you know in my 20s and so the blue pill i yeah. guess if you just want to get off then then definitely the toys and the blue pill are your way to go but mm. if you actually want to um get turned on not just for the time that you're in bed but but actually experience your your turned onness in your life in your body as a as an experience of who you are then you move past the blue pill and you move into another area hmm. you know i don't know about you but i remember you know my first real sex ed aside from a very awkward uh, six sixth grade uh, sexual ed course was reading tons of cosmopolitan about how to mm. give him the best yeah. orgasm or the best toys to use yeah. and when you get older you, you hear these awkward conversations with other ladies well as i had where basically this is how you make him happy this is how yeah. you serve him yeah, yeah and yeah. it feels like almost a betrayal when you're like wait a minute i thought this was the authority statement but i'm still unhappy what what what's up with that <laughs> um 
Yeah, if my sex is contingent and and predicated on someone else's being someone else's pleasure, then I will never get direct pleasure. I can only live through vicarious pleasure. And that can't ever be, if I'm hungry, so let's take it out of the, the bedroom and let's just put it onto food, right? Because it's probably the closest parallel. Mm. If I'm hungry, but I can't ever actually really feed myself or even know what it is that I'm hungry for, but all I could do to satisfy my hunger and it's never gonna satisfy me is to vicariously live through your meals, someone mm. else's meals. That will never hit the spot and I will always be hungry and I will never be satisfied. Mm. Hmm. What I find, and I've, I, I, and I know you probably have heard of it too, where women say, "Well, if I'm not going to get satisfied in the the bedroom, I'll be satisfied with my kids or my achievements." And I, it's, it is the saddest. Hmm. And when we're talking about my life's work here, it's like it is the saddest. It is, it is the most tragic setup, such a lose-lose proposition that we get sold a story that, you know, us sacrificing ourselves for others, being for others, women are for others before we are for anybody else. That is just how we're conditioned. And so we're sold that and we swallow it hook, line and sinker. And then we do that. And then we realize that is not gonna do it. And then we, and then we're sold also, okay, then to be a mother is the way to do it. And it's satisfying, but they leave. And by the way, children <laughs> are separate living beings, right? They're not for you. Like the, if, if there's sacrifice along the way, then on a certain level, all there is is that you're either sacrificing yourself for your husband, then, you're, for, then for your, you know, your children, and then for your job. And then like, and then there's resentment that gets built up. And then it's like, you want your children to sacrifice for you. Like everybody is sacrificing. And the only ones who are not sacrificing, although men do too, men sacrifice their bodies and they sacrifice their time. Right. Mm -hmm. They're at the office and they're always working and they're giving their money and they sacrifice their lives. If they're like, you know, who women and children first and the men have to sacrifice themselves in war and inside, like whatever. Do you know what I mean? It's like we're always mm -hmm. sacrificing ourselves. And to me, I'm like, that is such a lose lose game. Mm -hmm. It's such a setup. It's tragic to me. I'm like, no, everybody like truly, truly, truly my tr everybody wins. It's such a radically different. It's like revolutionary. It feels, you know, heretical to say that, like, no, really, putting yourself first. I am genuinely putting yourself first, not for, like a selfish, like, no, I mean, genuinely checking in, seeing who you are, like developing that and having mm. you be the center of your own life only feeds everyone and everything around you. Mm. You know, I was thinking about one particular client and she was telling me with tears in her eyes, I, I haven't had a quality night's sleep in years. My husband snores. He refuses to have me outside of the bedroom because a man and woman should share a bedroom. She's trying to also build her business and juggle with her three kids and she is dying. But because she was told culturally and with um, reinforcement for her husband, she shouldn't be away from her husband in the marital bed. She is dying. What yeah. good is that yeah. to anybody? Yeah, I, I, that is a perfect example of the bankruptcy of that kind of contact, context that drives the madness of that content. Mm, mm. Mm. And I think this is a good kind of pivot point to talk about. We hear so many messages, right, from our parents. Well, let's just start with parents. <laughs> society, <laughs> we're going to take, take a whole hour just talking yeah. about society, right? Let me yeah, just... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> me... it's, made up of, it's made up of us, you know, made up of parents you know? and people. And so imagine you're, you know, you're, I, I want to take your case, you know, you're seeing a very dominating, aggressive father figure, but then the mother's also aggressive in her own way. And yeah. then where is the gentleness being cultivated? 
<laughs> I mean, I don't know about I don't know about other people's lives. For me, I didn't really have a lot of I had the gentleness was in animals. I my dog. I mean, I hate to say it, but the only gentleness I've really had was in animals. Um, mm -hmm. um, no, my my mom, for me individually, I can't speak about this, you know, in a in a global or, you know, bigger picture way. But in my household, my father was the overtly scary human my mom was the but he could also be he was a confusing and interesting man because you know if you've ever seen the the show the sopranos tony soprano was this vicious you know thug but he also loved his family deeply and he could be tender right that's my dad my dad was my dad was this like very scary vicious human at times but he could also be deeply compassionate people on the outside <laughs> he was the kind of person that like people would say my god you were so lucky to have your father because he was really very very feeling to people outside and then when he got home he would be angry but my mom was um a terrified um uh bird of a person and she was so terrified that she sacrificed her children, mostly me, to mm -hmm. the altar of of her marriage. And mm -hmm. um, she was like a Blanche Dubois kind of character, you know, mm -hmm. um, always depending on the kindness of people and really believing in beauty, you know, like doubling, tripling down on sort of the things looking good, but not necessarily like trying to hide the sort of stinking um you know, uh, smelly smear that was underneath, you know, um, mm. my mom, my mom was never touched, but, but by my dad, but she, um, was always the biggest victim in the house, according to her, you mm. know? Um, so there wasn't a lot of softness, but for me, animals were that. Mm. Mm. So I don't know where we get the softness. Some of us are lucky enough that a neighbor is good to us or a, or a teacher or an, a grandparent or a mentor. Someone sees us and believes in us. Um, and that little thing, that little bit of kindness sort of saves a little bit of our humanity. Hmm. I'm just going to insert a public service announcement. <laughs> As you're listening, I'm speaking to the audience here. We don't know your story, obviously. Yeah. And we're not going to try to sugarcoat it or make it seem to be better or worse. But we want you to see it for how it really was, how it impacted you. Because your story really matters. Yeah. And as you're listening, I want you to really take a good hard look and say, what was it really for me? How did I really, how did my soul feel? Did I feel comforted? Was I afraid? What did it look like from an outside pers perspective? Because I think for a lot of us, we're in the quest to be good and do good all the time. We forget about who we are and how we were formed in those early years. Yeah. You know, there's a saying, I, I, is it, I don't know who says it. Is it Einstein or Freud? I'm not really sure who said it, but the saying is whatever we uh, you, whatever we bury gets buried alive and mm. you can't actually really and so like you know you, you can't bury something that's alive it'll kick and scream and try to get out and so a lot of the ways that we try to move on is to be like I'm fine I'm fine and just like you know metaphorically have our limbs dragging behind us you know while mm. we're trying to you know it's like the Monty Python I'll fight you with no arms I'll fight you with, <laughs> you know it's like that kind of thing but the 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 pathway to healing and I love that you brought this up the pathway to healing is to um, turn towards yourself and start listening turn towards yourself and start caring turn towards yourself and start start having compassion turn towards yourself and start noticing that there's actually a self that needs to be seen there um give it importance give it attention give it care give it like like instead of ignoring it so much so much of how we're built is just to ignore ourselves and and i'm i'm saying the exact opposite like 
don't ignore yourself actually actually be the most important person in the room for you um rather than and not mind you if your child is starving and wants a bit you know it's like you know let, let's not be all or nothing or black or white i'm talking about emotionally and psychologically you've got a, a, a being inside of you that has been um, pushed to the side for too long. And that is part of why we feel despair or hopelessness or upset or we can't actually feel our own joy when there's a lot of goodness in our lives. It's because we're just sort of just ignoring this part of ourselves that's like, stop complaining, stop being upset, stop being afraid, stop being angry. Why can't you? Why can't you be a better person? Why can't you be a good person? Why can't you? Mm. Because <laughs> children, when you try to ignore children, they just get louder. <laughs> they pull. Those are our babies and those are our children on the inside who are pulling. Mm. You know, as you were, uh, you were talking, I was thinking about Viola Davis and <sighs> what a phenomenal woman, right? And yeah. she was the second youngest of six kids um, and she was raised in a tiny little city in Central Falls, Rhode Island. And oftentimes she was hungry. So there are sometimes the only meal that she would get was at school. Yep. And her, listen yep. to her autobiography, is worth to listen to. Yep. But anyway, one of the things that she is very open about and she shares a, this idea of healing that inner kid inside of her and she says that sometimes she looks in the mirror and reminds herself i'm not that five-year-old little girl who's dirty and hungry i'm not in that situation this yeah. is a woman who is has achieved so much yeah, yeah but yeah, that yeah. little girl it's still in her yes yeah i mean I, i'm just gonna just do one little little snippet of her that she had she did with ARP is worth hearing. She says, I always say that I have one picture of my childhood. Every time I wake up, I look at myself and I'm that little five-year-old girl and I'm either healing her or confronting her or I'm allowing her to have fun. I've tried to fight for it my whole life. Yeah, I feel like that sums up everything that, that we've been saying. Like Viola Davis should just have the mic. <laughs> like, I don't, there is, I'm not kidding you. I don't, yeah. I don't think there's a moment for nobody, people who might not know who, you know, where my life is now, but I've come from a lot. Right. But now my life, like my life with my husband and myself is I'm not at war with myself. My husband and I laugh all the time. It is easy. Um, I do things, I, I do things in my life that are my passion and that, um, I believe I'm on purpose with like my life looks so different now and mm. is so different. And every single thing that I have done to achieve it was hard won. but never, never, never do I have a moment where that little one inside of me isn't in consideration while I'm going forward. Like it, she never, I will, I will possibly go to my grave still going, how are you doing today? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Holding her mm -hmm. hand, like, like growing her up because the parents that I had didn't do the job. So it, it felt it, I kicked and screamed for a long time and I suffered because of it. But at some point I turned towards her and I was like, okay, you're mine and I will take care of you for the rest of my life and I will figure out how to do that. And so mm -hmm. I do that I've taken her on and that is how I love myself. That is how I reparent myself. That is how I, I, I um, uh, calm myself. And, and by the way, that, People are like, how, how, how you start with your nervous system. Like, I'm mm. not kidding you. My, my little girl is tied deeply to mm. my nervous system. My nervous system tells me, and it's simultaneous. It's, it's like they are parallel with the little one inside of me. Like what scares me and what doesn't, what angers me and what doesn't, what, what, um, where I need to confront where I don't like I'm in constant communication, uh, with the one inside of me that never got parented well. Mm -hmm. 
So yeah, yeah, Viola Davis had said all of that in a much more eloquent, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> much more like, which is why she's where she's at. She took it on that deeply. Yeah, yeah, and I, I just want to say this for those who are listening about my mother or my father. I we need to drop that and say your biological parent, your mm -hmm. egg donor, or your sperm donor. Because parents, they weren't because they needed parenting themselves. Yeah. But now you have the ability to parent yourself and love yourself with the tools that you need to not just survive, but thrive. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think that's fair. You do what works for you. You know, if that's if that's the kind of languaging one needs to be able to differentiate and separate out from because you know mother and father has a really heavy deep um, mm. <laughs> like you know it's it it carries a lot and so if we need to change the languaging around that to be able to differentiate then so be it yeah uh, whatever works for anybody who's yeah. listening I mean yeah. I know that I mean, Anna, you know a little bit about my past and those who've been listening know a little bit about my past that, you know, in order to wrap my mind around what happened, I needed to give myself the authority to take yeah. care of myself. Yeah. I, I mean, to be like Frank, Denise, mm -hmm. you, your story, I sort of feel sometimes that that people like you and I, and there are other people like Oprah, there's like all kinds of people who are just you know, you listen to them and you go, how, how, how are you even a functioning person, let alone thriving, let alone successful or even happy? Mm. I feel like sometimes we, and I, I certainly have people who I look at and admire and go, keep moving because I'm, I'm following in your footsteps. Um, I need people like that. People need people like us. People need us to be sort of like the signposts of possibility. Hmm. Hmm. Because I, I know for me, and, I, and I, I would bet money that it's been the same for you where you spend time in, in, at previously where you're like, it is hopeless and I am doomed. Hmm. Hmm. You know, hates me yeah. somehow the world hates me and i am like a forsaken child of the universe and no you are not my dear mm. you are not i i i always knew that we were soul sisters in, in that vein because we didn't come to talk war stories we came to help women and anyone for that matter heal mm -hmm. and that means giving you that power mm -hmm. your rightness your your sense of power mm -hmm. and it doesn't come by self-loathing oh. and we're going to just wipe those tears back and say there is a better way of thinking and being and i as as you're talking i was thinking to myself about i didn't want this conversation to be like well let's talk about all the terrible rapes and abuses and like i didn't want to have that conversation because lord knows there's tons of podcasts out there that literally can go into that self-pity fest. Yeah. Or and I don't details. It could be a very car wreck compelling conversation, but it doesn't really forward the the needle very much. Yeah. And I don't think the healing will ever be done. I don't no. think it will ever be done. No. No. Well, at least on this side. <laughs> no, not for me either. I I the the healing the game the game that I'm in now, and I don't know how it is for you, but the game that I'm playing now, and it, to a certain degree, it, it feels challenging in a, in a different and, and, and like almost more challenging, is in opening up to the good. Mm -hmm. Like before it was, it was trying to strip myself of all of the ways that I was pulling in the bad. You know, like bad experiences, bad relationships, bad, like sabotaging, things like that. I'm no longer doing that. And I could see how I am the bottleneck <laughs> for the good. And so it's literally like, okay, how do I peel away this thing and that thing so that I could actually allow the good? And it's a different game, but it's still a healing game. And I, I agree with you, that never ends i hope mm. to goodness it doesn't i i 
I don't know. It's been, it's been now where I'm at. It's, it's, I, you know, so many of us don't want to spend time with ourselves. I miss my, when I'm really busy, I'm like, I just want to spend more time with myself because I miss me. Like, I like knowing about my thoughts. I like knowing about myself. I like discovering who I am. That was all hard won. And I hope that never ends. Hmm. A lot of people who are listening need to get out of their own way of happy from ha- from the pain. They're they're being an obstacle to their own happiness. And you're like, what are you talking about? I'm an obstacle to my own happiness. I mean, yeah, yeah. There's, there's a, I mean, I mean, I guess if you are with someone, like you were talking about, someone who they he they won't even they're not even allowed to sleep in a different room hmm. and it does look like it's external ex- external things that are having us feel like we can't be happy hmm. but the truth of the matter is is there's some agency there is some agency that we have it might be small whatever way that like some of us have great agency and some of us just don't do it and some of us have small agency but we're also too afraid like we've just con- we're conditioned and we've conditioned ourselves to just give up all of our power and give it to something or someone else but healing requires us to pick up the mantle of wherever it is that are we have agency hmm. and then build from there and so you know, if that woman, right, who is not even able to sleep, picks up, you know, it's her body, it's her, picks up the mantle and goes, I am not sleeping. And while I understand that God and the church and you want me to be here, I'm going to sleep for my own sanity in a different bed. Hmm. Hmm. That is a choice. That is a decision. And then you have to reckon with all of the guilt, all of the stuff that comes, you have to reckon with all of the messages that we have taken on and then find yourself inside of that. Nope, still gonna choose me. Nope, still gonna choose me. Nope, still gonna choose me. And then that's the first five pound weight that you pick up. Mm. And then eventually you get to the 10 pound weight and then you get to the 15 pound weight and the 20 pound weight and the 30 and the 40 and the 100 and the 1000 pound weight. And by the time you get to the 1000 pound weight, your life looks different. Mm. You are more at the center of your own life. Mm. But it, it starts with agency. So many women don't even know of their own agency. They just think that they're just going from one obligation to the next. That is true. And that is the delusion. (laughs) It is the delusion. I I hate to say it, but it is the delusion. And it's, I'm in the the business of, of, of like coming out of sleep. Hmm. Hmm. Women are much more powerful than we know. And I'm, I'm interested and invested in us being powerful. Hmm. You teased this a little bit in the beginning of our conversation, but I would love if you'd be so kind of flesh it out a little bit about this idea of your nervous system. Yeah. Yeah. So, So, you know, if anybody's in the game of, or in the inquiry, or in the the study of manifestation, like, you know, spiritual self-help is all about, like, you can manifest this, and you can manifest that, but the universe, or ener- the universe doesn't respond to your words, it responds to your energy, it responds mm. to who you are in life, it responds to who you're being. 
Like, mm -hmm. and you can say, I really want a million dollars. I really want a million dollars. I really want a million dollars. But if who mm -hmm. you're being in your nervous system, and what I mean by your nervous system is when you wake up in the morning and your shoulders are up around your ears and your heart is beating really fast and you, you know, you have a sort of like, 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 the jolted um, response to, to anything that happens and change and abrupt and like you're, you're sort of wired for a bit of, you know, catastrophic thinking. Who you are in life is the, the I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop and everything is always a problem and I'm afraid. Mm. And everything's a problem. Like everything mm. is bad. I'm bad. Mm. Something's bad. All of it's bad. And so the universe is, doesn't really care about what you're saying. It cares about who you are. And so to, to affect change, like there was a lot of good that was going on in my life at a certain point, but my nervous system was so shot that I was moving through life like I was waiting for the, the gun to go off. Mm. <laughs> like who cared I couldn't feel any of the goodness in my life do you know mm. so my nervous system had to be addressed mm. and a lot of us use other people to address their nervous system <laughs> they'll use or they'll use like tv or they'll use food or they'll use alcohol or they'll use sex or they'll use other things or they even the person it's like you know if I call you and I talk and 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 I don't really care about how you're doing I just want to talk we use other people as well sometimes you know but at some point you actually have to take your own nervous system on your nervous system is like how you breathe, how you hold your body, what's what's being held in your muscles, your your thoughts, your mm. um, um, uh, how you sleep at night. <laughs> it's like a whole interconnected thing. And so I really started taking on my nervous system, cold water baths, you know, listening to certain things in the morning, making sure that my diet, you know, sleeping, you know, um, getting checkups, walking, getting sunlight in the mornings, like actually science-based things that would start to regulate. Also, believe it or not, letting myself cry, mm. suppressing emotions was a huge no-no for me. So I actually had to just let myself have my emotions writing doing like i've done a bunch of stuff and still do a bunch of stuff i'm now more fine-tuned where i know what my system needs to be able to regulate my own nervous system and my nervous system is now regulated much lower than it used to be hmm. Hmm. <laughs> a lot of people say well you know what that's so great i'll just give me a book listen or i i mean okay but but you're asking, you're asking to learn how to ride a bicycle and I can give you 15 books. I can have you watch movies on how to ride a bicycle. You could listen to podcasts. You can listen to, um, audio books. You can listen, watch and read all you want. It will not somatically teach you balance to be able to ride the bicycle. Mm -hmm. The way you ride the bicycle is by getting up on the bike, falling, figuring it out, scraping your knee, not knowing what the heck you're doing, being confused because what happens somatically is the, the proverbial or the, the symbolic baton gets passed from one thing to another. And so there's mm -hmm. this messy middle until you finally, oh, I'm up on the bike and I'm figuring it out and I figured out how to find balance on a bicycle. Hmm. So yes, study, do all that stuff. But at some point you got to get up on the bike. Yeah. I have always been amazed hearing women, hearing clients say, well, I see it's a problem, but it's not that bad. And then they're, they're, they're literally looking like they're on the verge of a mental breakdown. Yeah. I, I think, I, I mean, I was that woman at some point. Were you that woman? I understand. I mm. understand. I, I, it's only later. It's like alcoholics or addicts. That's an addictive personality. You're addicted to a particular, you're propping it up. I, I only in retrospect, when you're better, do you realize how bad it was? Hmm. Hmm. I never shared this with you, but uh, I'm about eight years sober of alcohol 
And I did not realize how much anger and fear and trepidation and insecurity got buried underneath the, the booze. Yep. Yep. Now. Yep. And the on top of that, the flashbacks that were very well suppressed by the anger. Yep. And so as you're listening to this conversation, I hope you understand that this is going to be part of the process, but there's a better side from where you are right now. Yeah. Yeah. I, first of all, congratulations. Like <laughs> nothing gets done until you stop taking the drink. <laughs> You're just stopped in time until until you finally are like, all right, I'm going to put that down. And then you start to actually live. So congratulations. You're here because of that decision. Thank you. Um, yeah, I also want to speak to the people who are beating themselves up because they're, <laughs> they know better, but they can't somehow <laughs> get themselves to take that first step. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to say something that might sound opposite of what I've been talking, but I don't think so. I trust your system. I'm speaking to the people who are listening. I trust your system completely. Hmm. You feel you have to continue doing the things that you're doing and that it's not the right time. Then it's not the right time. Hmm. Take yourself off the hook. Stop beating yourself up. Trust that your system is doing the best that it can. Understand that it is trying to survive. Mm. Be kind. It is only, you had said something like you can't hate yourself. I've never known anybody who hated themselves into self-love. Mm -hmm. so, so try to not hate yourself for the necessary <laughs> um, uh, protection that you're doing for yourself. Mm, yeah. Mm. We're always doing the best we can with the knowledge and the, the tools that we have available. You know, I remember when I was first told that I was self-medicating via alcohol, when I first got into a different type of 12-step recovery program, it didn't take until seven years later that I yeah. <laughs> But my sponsor, hey, I think you have a problem drinking. No, I don't. I just wake up and uh, kick back a couple of shots of tequila. No biggie. You know, yeah. I. <laughs> yeah, you're just taking the edge off. <laughs> <laughs> your journey, speaking to what you said, Anna, like your journey is your journey, right? Yeah. And everybody moves at the pace that they need to. And yeah. when that nudge happens, oh gosh, it's like you're being pushed off a cliff. Yeah. Yeah, what you want to do eventually is is listen to the message when it's at the whisper and not when it's tearing your house down. But I don't know. <laughs> each each person's got their own thing, and I don't. I'm I'm not. My house tore down a couple of times. I'm stubborn. I, <laughs> I'm really stubborn. <laughs> so my house had to get torn down a few times before I finally was like, maybe I should listen. <laughs> so you if, know, I hear you. <laughs> if I mean, we talked about so much, but yeah. is there like any, <laughs> I shouldn't say main, but main, one single point, but and as many points you want the people who are listening. I mean, obviously moving at the pace that feels comfortable for you is obviously one, but is there anything else that you really want people who are listening to just go, oh gosh, I, I really need to sing this one home into my mind? Yeah, I'm, Yes. Um, start in the smallest place when you wake up in the morning, when you go to bed at night, during the day, I don't care where, start for 30 seconds, for 30 seconds. Stop making yourself wrong and look at all the things that you're doing right. Just start from some foundation of goodness and rightness. I don't care how minuscule it is. You brush your teeth, great. You brush your teeth, your teeth, you start there. I did a good thing. I'm a good person. I'm mm. a right person. You mm. made the bed, you're a good and right person. We have a sickness of wrongness that is prevalent 
and pervasive. And I, I'm, I want you to cut yourself some slack and give yourself some, a break and make yourself right even if it's for 30 seconds. Maybe tomorrow you do it for 35 seconds. Maybe the next day after that, you do it for 40 seconds, but you build from there. And from a place of goodness and rightness, building from there, miraculous things can and do happen. So that's the thing that I really, really wish that people would take away from this conversation is that no matter what's gone on, you still have the right to be good and right. Hmm. Oh gosh, this was such a powerful, powerful conversation, and I don't want it to end. But I <laughs> people learn more about you and just continue this conversation. Yeah, you can find me at myrightness.com, which is my website. You can also find me at all the socials, TikTok, if it's still around in the next couple of weeks. There's all kinds of stuff going on, IG, and of course on, on Facebook. And then I'm starting a um, six-month course about genuinely building your rightness and power as a woman. Um, mm. And I'm starting that in the end of April. Oh, that's exciting. April of 2023. Yes. Okay. So, Cause I just want to date stamp this for anyone who will be listening in the f- future. Yes. yes. Okay. <laughs> wow. I, my heart just thinks to this whole conversation about knowing the fact that you are on that right path, whatever that path looks like for you and reclaiming your rightness and reclaiming your right to heal that it's not an option if you want to thrive not just in your business but in all areas of your life and i'm so grateful for this conversation and i'm hoping those people who are listening will take action whatever that action looks like for you yes 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 it was or, such a pleasure. I mean, I'm going to mirror that. It's such a pleasure to meet you. I'm so glad that you're in the world and that we got to speak. And I hope that at some point our paths cross again. And we're, whoever's listening and whatever is going on in your life, know that I'm rooting for you. Know that Denise is rooting for you and that, um, that there's a reason and a path for you going forward. Oh, that was such, so beautiful. All right, you guys who are listening, I need you to share this podcast. If this really sunk to your heart, contact Anna. Do something and not just say, wow, that was great. It doesn't matter if you just, wow, it's great. It doesn't matter unless you have action that backs it up. That's how you rewire the nervous system. That's how you forge forward to wherever that looks like in your life. So Anna, thank you so much. And I'm so grateful for this conversation. I'm looking forward for the next conversation and for those of you guys who are listening thank you so much for listening you are on the path whatever that looks like for you all right well take care and be awesome